So y'all got to bear with me. I lost my voice earlier in the week, and it's still not 100% back. Uh, as a preacher, it's hard to rest your voice because you have to talk, you know. Um, had a wedding I did uh, on Friday night, so getting rest then either. So I'm here, and I'm not going to have a lot of volume, so a good thing I have a microphone. So our text for today um, is similar to last week, actually. And so if you were here last week, it was a challenging text about wealth, about economics, about how we operate here in this world, and how we use this worldly wealth to, to work for the common good. And our text for today is similar. Our text for today, you could describe as a warning tale. It's a warning. It's a story that will probably make us all uncomfortable. It's a story that should serve as a wake-up call to us. And honestly, it's a bit of a terrifying story, and it's haunted Christians for nearly 2,000 years. It's a story, it's been described that it comforts the afflicted, but afflicts the comfortable, all right? And so if you are afflicted this morning and struggling, perhaps it will be encouraging to you. Uh, If you are comfortable this morning, then I think it'll probably make you a bit uncomfortable, but that it's kind of who we are at Embrace. We try to lean in and, and let the text speak to us in the way that it needs to. And so it's a story uh, that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke. It's a, it's a parable. It's a warning tale. So we're going to get into it. But before I read it to you, I want to remind you of Jesus' words from last week. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. All right? And so... Uh, This is going to frame kind of what we're talking about. So if y'all want to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can, but no pressure because the words will be right behind me on the screen. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 19 through 31. I'm going to read it slowly again so that you can follow along with the story. And this is Jesus telling a story. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am an agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm, a great divide has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them 
so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So as you probably noticed, this story begins the same way as the parable from last week. There was a rich man. Same exact beginning to both of these parables. They go together as one. So, we're talking about economics again. And uh, I'll tell you, of all the social issues of Jesus' day, he talked about economics more than any of the others. And perhaps because economics has such a profound impact on our lives, Jesus seemed to understand kind of the, the dangerous power of wealth. Now, this rich man in the story is portrayed as an extremely wealthy, indulgent, kind of self-consumed person. It's kind of an over-the-top description. He wore purple and fine linen. These were clothes only reserved for the most wealthy people. He lived in luxury every day, it's said, basically meaning he was feasting and indulging and stuffing his face every single day of the week. You know, Jews loved to celebrate and to party, but parties were meant to be shared on special occasions in community with other people. But this man is described as as daily, without community, feasting and partying by himself. Now, this extremely rich man is contrasted with another individual who, with a, a bit of an over-the-top description, a poor man named Lazarus. Now, it's interesting, a piece of the text, that we're not told the rich man's name, but we are told Lazarus' name. And this is the only man up to this point, and really, Lazarus and Abraham are the only two people who receive names in Jesus' parables uh, throughout the Gospels. So Lazarus is portrayed as the exact opposite of the rich man. Now, if the rich man were like the top 1%, then Lazarus was the bottom 1%. He was separated from the rich man in every single way. In the Roman world in the first century, there was a big, big gap between the wealthy and the poor. And a not-so-fun fact, today the gap in our world is even larger than it was back then between the rich and the poor. So Lazarus was brought to the gate of this rich man's estate. Now, perhaps some of his friends or somebody took him there and laid him there because they were hoping that the rich man would give him food or drink or something. Often outside the gate of a wealthy person's estate, there might be a bench there where the poor would come sit and, and they would wait for the leftovers or wait for alms that would be given from the wealthy because in that culture, it was expected that the wealthy would give at least something to support those who were poor. They didn't have social services like we do today. This is how they function in society. And so it would have been expected for this wealthy man to give something to Lazarus. Now, this rich man instead ignored Lazarus. 
Lazarus was covered in sores, starving for just little scraps of food, yet he received nothing. The dogs uh, were caring for the man more than the rich man, licking his sores, perhaps providing some measure of relief. You know, this gross contrast between these two men reminds me of uh, my time in West Palm Beach, Florida. My wife got a temp job there when we were in college, serving food at the Breakers, which was this kind of opulent, wealthy hotel on Palm Beach Island. And at the end of the night, all the staff were instructed that all the food, they were to throw in the trash, all the leftover food into the dumpster. And my wife is a very compassionate woman, and, and in college she was the same way. She had met a lot of folks who lived on the streets in West Palm Beach, and she's like, hey, can I take some of this food and share it with people? And they said, no, we have to throw it all in the trash. Beautiful cakes and foods and sides and vegetables, all these things, right into the trash. All the while, all across the way, the intercoastal waterway, just right across the river, was one of the highest concentration of people who didn't have homes in the entire country. So the wealthy at the breakers feasted daily and couldn't even share leftovers with the poor across the river. So back to the story. Suddenly the text tells us that the men died in the story. And the text tells us that the rich man was buried, and we're not sure if Lazarus actually received a burial. Perhaps he didn't, being as poor as he was. All too often, those who are dishonored in life are also dishonored in death. So Lazarus was taken away by angels to Abraham's side. Now, this is an interesting way that they translated it, because the text actually says in, in Greek that it was Abraham's bosom that he was taken to. So I guess the interpreters were like, eh, it seems a little weird. He's going to be like reclining on Abraham's breast. But that's what the story is telling us. And so the image here is like of Abraham, of, of Lazarus going and reclining on Abraham's breast at a wonderful feast. Now think about for a Jew, I mean, this would be one of the highest honors, right? Feasting with Abraham, the father of their faith in the afterlife. So the rich man, on the other hand, went to another place. We don't know how far away they were from one another. But he could see Abraham and Lazarus from where he went. But he went to a place called Hades. And it says he was in torment. And he looked up and he was able to see Lazarus and Abraham feasting together. Now think about it. I'm sure part of his torment was looking up and seeing this poor man named Lazarus in this place of privilege and power. It probably stressed him out. To look up there and see Lazarus there in the place that he probably felt like he was supposed to be. Because in this life, he had received all the privilege and all the praise and honor, but no longer had he. You know, we've been seeing a lot of uh, particularly white people recently. Um, I would say these are racist uh, kind of thoughts that they're having, but they're being tormented over seeing people of color represented in their favorite movies and TV shows. And in a way, it's similar, but this is much more intense, obviously. But looking and seeing people in positions of power and privilege that they don't think ought to be there, right? And this is something that I'm sure was going on in this rich man's mind. And so in his torment, he called to Abraham, trying to get Abraham to help him. 
He probably assumed Abraham would be on his side because, you know, he had always got his own way in his earthly life. So listen to what he asked Abraham. He said, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and come cool my tongue. Now, two things about this. First, he knew Lazarus' name. He knew who the poor man by the gate was. He had seen him. He knew who he was. He even knew his name. He knew that he was suffering. He couldn't claim that I didn't see this guy. I didn't know who he was. No, he knew him, and he still did nothing. Second, even after he died and was in torment, he thought that he was still better than Lazarus. He thought he could give Lazarus an order to get the water and bring it down to him to cool his tongue. He thought Lazarus still ought to serve him. How crazy is that? Abraham spoke back to the rich man, telling them, he's like, basically, you've had all you wanted in your lifetime, and Lazarus had nothing. Now Abraham said, it's all turned upside down. Now Lazarus is comforted, and you are not. And then he tells him, there's actually a great chasm, a great divide between you and us, and you can't cross it. This ought to remind us of the Luke themes of a radical reversal that I've talked about many times. That the poor are going to be lifted up, and the rich will be brought low. Then Lazarus cried out again for a second time, asking Abraham to send Lazarus on an errand for him. He said, Abraham, send Lazarus to go warn my siblings so that they won't be in this place of torment also in the future. Now, Abraham told the rich man that he did not, they didn't need a warning after all. He told them that the siblings, they had Moses, they had the prophets. They were pretty clear in those books uh, throughout the Old Testament of how they ought to treat others, particularly those who are suffering. So he's like, they've already heard it. They should know better. The rich, people, the rich man still didn't think it was enough, and so he argued, well, here's the deal, Abraham. If someone rises from the dead and goes and speaks to them, of course they're going to change their life, and of course they're going to listen. And then Abraham closed the story by saying these words. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, do you see kind of why this is a disturbing story? It really, for me, it holds up that uncomfortable mirror in front of me, forcing me to consider some things that I would probably like to just ignore. Now, I want you to just think what comes to your mind as you read this story. I'll give you some ideas. Perhaps... It forces you to consider how your actions in this life might affect what happens in the afterlife. That's a scary thought, right? Perhaps our actions matter now. Or maybe you're thinking about how you treat those who are suffering at your own gate, in your own family, in your own neighborhood. In America, we ought to think about at our southern border how we are treating those suffering on the other side of the gate. Perhaps you're thinking about the great chasm that cannot be crossed. That's a very terrifying image, right? And maybe it's causing you some anxiety thinking about what happens after we die. Maybe you're wondering if you truly serve God or if you're all serving the mammon system, the money system that we talked about last week. 
I mean, maybe you feel good about the rich man's torment. And you're like, I don't care if he's tormented, he deserved it. And maybe you feel guilty about that. Or maybe you feel sorry for him. And you're like, Abraham, can you give him another shot? You know, maybe that's what you're thinking. So many things that are probably going through our minds as we hear a story like this. And I'm going to remind you what I said last week. That's exactly what parables are supposed to do. (laughs) They're supposed to provoke us into looking at our lives, asking hard questions, and considering how we might live differently. Now, I'm going to tell you my own take on this. I don't believe personally, as I've read this story, I don't think it's really meant to teach us all these specifics about heaven and hell and what it looks like. I don't think that's Jesus' purpose here. But I do see this as a wake-up call. It's a story he told to get us thinking, maybe to scare us a little bit, to shock us a little bit, to provoke us to try to live differently now, specifically in regards to how we treat those who are suffering around us. I read a commentary on this passage that compared this parable to a Christmas carol by Charles Dickens. Have y'all heard this story? Um, Well, in the story, there's a rich man named Ebenezer Scrooge, and he is very selfish. He is very greedy in his life. Now, on Christmas Eve, he's visited by multiple ghosts in a dream. And, And basically, in the dream, they pull back the curtain for him so he can see kind of how his actions in this earthly life are affecting others and how they might affect people in the future. And these dreams are quite terrifying for him. And and it was a very scary experience. But ultimately what happened is they served as a wake-up call for this man to change his life. And he wakes up a different man on Christmas Day. Now Jesus' terrifying story of the rich man and Lazarus, I believe, serves a similar purpose. I believe it is meant to prod us from our slumber and to wake us up to see the massive chasm that exists today in this life between the rich and the world, or rich and the poor in our world today. And I think it's a call to join Jesus and his work to bridge that gap and to show solidarity with those who are in need. You know, if this story is meant to be a wake up call, then the audience, those who are listening to it, I think in a way we ought to identify with the people who are still living in the story. Now, he talks about three brothers. Brothers can also, even though it's masculine in the Greek, it could refer to sisters as well, so we'll just call them siblings. He has five siblings that he's worried about. Now, the five siblings, they're all still alive in the story. And they still have the opportunity to open their ears, to rehear the words in Scripture, telling them time and time again God's heart for those who suffer. They still have a chance to dig back in, open their ears, and be willing to hear what the Bible is actually telling us about all this. They also still have the opportunity to open their eyes and to see those who are suffering around them. The rich man did not see Lazarus. He did not care. And they still have the opportunity to open their lives and really rethink how they might draw their circle much wider and include all people in their loving embrace. I want to read uh, these words from a woman named Barbara Rossing. 
And I want these to be a final kind of reflection for you all this morning. She says, we are those five siblings of the rich man. We who are still alive have been warned about our urgent situation. The parable makes clear. We have Moses and the prophets. We have the scriptures. We have the manna lessons of God's economy, about God's care for the poor and hungry. We even have someone who has risen from the dead. And the question is, will we, the five sisters and brothers, see? In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. You know, I kind of this morning just wanted to lay out the text for you and lay out the story for you, and I want you all to do some reflection yourself on kind of where God may be leading you in this. Our story last week and our story this week make it abundantly clear that, that Jesus really cares about the way we use our resources, that Jesus cares about who we choose to see, Jesus cares about who we include and who we bring into our communities. And we need to be mindful of that. And, and, you know, it's hard to read stories like this because they do scare us a little bit. They do cause us to, to ask a lot of questions. And I just want to remind you, Jesus is inviting you to join him. He's inviting you to walk with him. And he'll, he'll show you the specifics. He'll help you learn how to actually live out um, this radical calling to love all people. Uh, and he'll invite you on that journey. He'll show you there's grace for that journey. We don't have to have it all figured out just yet. I don't want y'all to come away from this text being scared of hell or something like that because I'm not sure that's what Jesus is trying to do. I think he's trying to wake us up and say, hey, this is urgent. This matters. We need to think about how we're living our lives. We need to think about who we're separated from. John Wesley, uh, my friend, shared a, a quote from him recently, and he said something along the lines, the church doesn't do much for the poor because we never go visit. We never spend time with them. And, and that's the reality. We've set up a world where we're separate from one another. There's a great chasm that exists between those who have and those who don't. And as God's people, people who follow Jesus, we have to be committed to bridging that gap and making that um, where there's not such a great divide, where everybody has enough and can survive and, and thrive in life.